the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always an honor. Today is Thursday, September the 10th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on September 10, 1962, the U.S. Supreme Court ordered that University of Mississippi must admit James Meredith. He was a black student. Today in 1813, an American Naval Force commander, Oliver H. Perry, he defeated the British in the Battle of Lake Erie. It was during the War of 1812. What makes this noteworthy, of course, the, the victory was noteworthy, particularly to those fighting, but why this is remembered is because of a statement that Perry made. You may have heard it. And if so, this is where it came from. As he came back and announced that they had won their battle, he said these words. He says, quote, We have met the enemy. And they are ours. Today in 1846, Elias Howe, he received a patent for a sewing machine. I don't know where Singer came in, but they were after Howe on sewing machines. Today in 1987, Pope John Paul II, he arrived in Miami. It was a big deal. He was welcomed by President Ronald Reagan and First Lady Nancy Reagan. They began a 10-day tour of the United States. Today, in 1991, the Senate Judiciary Committee opened hearings on the nomination of Clarence Thomas to the U.S. Supreme Court. I will tell you, I remember that vividly. Joe Biden, Senator Joe Biden, did everything humanly possible to not only deny the nomination, but to destroy the man, Clarence Thomas. Everything humanly possible. Today in 2016, John Hinckley Jr., the man who tried to assassinate President Ronald Reagan in 1981, remember Reagan was going into a hotel for a meeting or something there in D.C., and uh, this guy shot he and some of President Reagan's people that was with him. He was released, John Hinckley Jr. was released today in 2016 from a mental hospital. They said he he was fine now. We hope so. Ten years ago today, during a White House press conference, President Barack Obama, he said, I recognize that the economy is struggling. But he said, I want you to know that it's not my fault. It's the Republicans. He said they are are exercising election year politics and they're thwarting my efforts to do more to spur this I'm quoting him, listless national economy. That was kind of the story of his life. If he wasn't downplaying or negatively talking about America, he was talking about the economy that wasn't doing all that well, and he was making sure that no one thought it was his fault. It's interesting how leadership in the White House does make a difference. Prior to this, the arrival of this virus from China, President Trump had this economy in America doing 
very well. So leader, it comes down to leadership. And I think most of us know that in our heart. Also today, my wife has a birthday. Happy birthday, Marjorie. I hope you have a great day. I would take you out to our favorite restaurant and we'd sit and have dinner together, but it's closed. And I suppose if they'd let, let us in, we'd have to set 20 feet apart. So we'll delay that a little longer. We'll do something else <clears throat> nice for you today, but happy birthday to my wife. President Donald Trump added 20, 20 new names to his list yesterday. He announced them. Potential Supreme Court justices on Wednesday. On Wednesday, he said he was adding um, some names, 20. Among them, I'm not going to read through the whole list, but among the names that he's adding to his list from which he will choose his uh, nominees to the Supreme Court of the United States. And if he is reelected, and I hope and pray that he is, we all should because, boy, the alternative is not good. And it's worse sometimes than we realize or the public realizes. But added to the list... Our uh, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, who's brilliant. Texas Senator Ted Cruz, equally brilliant constitutionally. And Missouri uh, Senator Josh Howley, also brilliant. The original members, some of them on the U.S. Supreme Court that many of us Christians uh, were interested in, they're still there. The Seventh uh, Circuit Judge uh, Amy Coney Barrett, she would create a firestorm. Storm. She's a charismatic Catholic, but brilliant by all. Even the left recognizes her brilliance in regards to constitutional law. She's on that list. Should he nominate her, um, I'm telling you, the smoke from the fires in the Northwest now would be incidental to the explosion that would cause from the left, but he may do it. I don't know. But also the Third Circuit Court Judge Tom Hardiman, <clears throat> he's also on that list, and he's highly, highly qualified. All of the people are that Trump has put on that list. I think Gorsuch surprised him and many of us with a decision that he made a while back. But for the most part, uh, he's been okay. But I see Trump looking a little further to the right with his nominations for the next term, should he be elected. So I think that's one more reason and a kind of an affirmation of why it's important to vote for Trump, even if you don't like some of his ways. And I understand that. He wasn't my first trial. I wasn't supporting him when the pri during the primary leading up to the 2016 election. I was interested in him. I always had a kind of an interest in him because he got things done. I read one of his books years and years ago about the art of the deal. But um, he wasn't my first choice. There were three other guys ahead of him. Ted Cruz was one of them. And so, um, you know, we, we adjust and adapt as we go along, knowing that God is in control of all things. In fact, in Psalm chapter 11, Psalm of David, he writes, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready the arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly 
or that word can, can mean and does mean in the darkness as well, secretly, in the darkness, at the upright, in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's a good question. That's answered in that Psalm 11. I'll come back to that a little later. President Trump put out a memorandum to all of our military and all of the bureaucracies related to it. He said it has come, he put it out on Friday. He said it has come to the president's attention that executive branch agencies have spent millions of taxpayer dollars to date training government workers to believe divisive anti-American propaganda. The propaganda that he's talking about is known as critical race theory. I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. It's a lie, but it will choke America. It will kill the soul of our culture and our military. And it will pose a great, great, great national security threat if it isn't dealt with. Thankfully, President Trump has taken some action. He continued in his memorandum. For example, he said, according to press reports, Employees across the executive branch have been required to attend trainings where they're told that virtually all white people contribute to racism or where they are required to say that they benefit from racism. According to press reports, his memo says, in some cases these trainings have further claimed that there is racism embedded in the belief that America is the land of opportunity or the belief that most qualified persons should receive a job. These types of trainings not only run counter to the fundamental beliefs for which our nation has stood since its inception, but they also engender division and resentment within the workforce. So we ask ourselves, what is critical race theory, or CRT? What is that? Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. Chris Rufo, has, uh, he's a research fellow with the Seattle-based Discovery Institute. He's appeared several times on Fox News recently on Tucker Carlson's program. I've seen him at least a couple of times. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they've been talking about this. He said the other night, Rufo said, it's absolutely astonishing how critical race theory has pervaded every institution in the federal government. He said, what I've discovered, he's been doing a lot of research on this. He said, what I've discovered is that critical race theory has become, in essence, the default ideology of the federal bureaucracy it is now being weaponized against the American people. Well, let me talk to you a little bit about what, what this really is. I mean, it's, it's convoluted and it's, it's shades of, of truth. I mean, there's a little bit of truth woven into it, but it's blatantly anti-American, anti-God, anti-family, and it redefines or it recasts what racism really is and race relations really are. So let me do my best to give you just a brief overview of what, what it's about, because you're going to be hearing a lot more about this, because uh, Rufo and a couple of others are bringing this to the surface, but he's the main guy that's talking about it now, and he's an intellectual, he's a very smart guy, and he's done his homework, because I spent some time reading it, and boy, it's sourced. It's very well sourced. I wrote an article on that today. You can find it at faithandfreedom.us, faithandfreedom.us, not .com. But anyway, in, in brief, in brief, this Professor Derek Bell here a while back, it's been two or three, four years ago now, I can't remember the date he published the book, but 
he was one of the creators of this school of thought. And this CRT, this demonic material, it envisions that the base layer of reality is, a, is the power struggle that we see in our world between the oppressed and the oppressors. The version of this theory now that's in schools, it's in entertainment, it's in corporate, uh, corporations now, and it filters everything through the idea of race, but with radical new definitions for the existing terms. That's what the left always does. Karl Marx taught them to do that and others, is to, is to redefine the terms. Alinsky, Saul Alinsky amplified all that. Redefine the terms. Remember when gay used to mean happy? <laughs> My grandmother used to use that word all the time, and it meant happy. As a kid growing up, she'd say, we're having a gay old time. Isn't this, this is wonderful. Aren't we having, that's what I'm talking about. So this version of this critical race theory has been infused into our institutions. Racism is no longer about ethnic prejudice, but it's about some demographic, some skin colors, having less wealth, status, or safety than others. Whiteness is no longer a physical trait, but it's kind of a king of the hill. Remember that? Remember that? I, maybe you didn't play that. We did. We, we didn't have a lot of toys when I was growing. We had, I, I did. I had too many toys. I was probably very fortunate in that respect. But we played king on the hill, and we played stuff that didn't need, you know, an app and, and all that. And um, anyway, king of the hill. Remember that? Yeah, you get up there, and you push people, try to knock you off the, well, that's kind of what this is like. It's kind of a socio-political caste system, kind of like India, but different. Every, every action is understood subconsciously being motivated to maintain power through a kind of a, a subjugation, I would say. So racism cannot be defeated by refraining from hatred and discrimination. No, no, no. That's not enough. It requires an active posture of anti-racism. Stay with me now. Discrimination in service of evening up those democratic stats on wealth, status, and safety must come from a proactive anti-racism. In other words, you can't just stop being mean to people or thinking badly about people who have a, a different skin color if you're white. You've got to become active, proactive. You have to become active anti-racism. You can't just cease being racist. That sounds like words, but it's much more than that. The general strategy of these woke, as they call it, evangelists, is to secure loyalty. Anti-racism is a long-time commitment. They don't expect to win this overnight, and they didn't. They've been working on it for quite some time. They use phrases like, we have to get on the right side of history. They train their new found followers to see any critics of anything they say, their books, their ideas, their essays that they present in university, college, high school, whatever. If anybody disagrees with them, they're racist. You just immediately label them as racist. And they must be purged from public life because we are done with racism. 
And that's what these riots are saying on the streets, but that's not what they're really about. The riots and the burning and the carried on on the streets across our cities in America, it's really about power. It's a power struggle to tear down the foundations of this nation and the institutions upon which were built on on those foundations, which were based on Judeo-Christian values and biblical foundations. That's what this is about. And it isn't just me saying this. There are people with louder voices than mine that are saying it now, and they need to be heard. One of the guys that has kind of launched this whole effort, his name is Dr. Ibram Kendi. And um, he's kind of a, an elitist academic, they say. But he's written a book. It's called, the book is titled Stamped from the Beginning. The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America and How to Be Anti-Racist. And the key to this is what I mentioned a moment ago is how to be anti-racist. Again, let me repeat. It's not about, you know, like, hey, you guys, stop being racist. We want you to get over this. No, that's not enough. You've got to to become an anti-racist. And there's a reason for that. Kendi has been lavished with awards from the left. Acclaimed, prestigious positions in education media he's looked up to as almost godlike. And some of the people that have promoted him, one, of course, you will not be surprised, is Oprah. I mean, she's just had him everywhere talking about this, not just putting down racism, but becoming an anti-racist. It's almost a parallel to Christianity in the sense that you can do good things. Christianity says, the gospel says, you can do good things and all of that, but if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you haven't truly become a Christian. You're just doing Christian things. They're almost drawing that parallel. It's very concerning because it's very deceptive. And they're saying now it's not enough to just stop doing bad things. You have to convert to anti-racism. And you have to become kind of a new creature, a new anti-racist in order to become not a racist. Boy, I'll tell you, it's, it's something else. The central thesis of his book, this anti-racist kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like a manifesto. It is it is a guide for the anti-racist to dismantle racist systems. Let me give you a quote from his writing, from his book. Here's what he says, among many other things, but this is kind of the heart of where this guy's coming from. And again, I mean, if he was sitting on the, you know, in Key West writing books stoned on marijuana or whatever, I mean, who would, I, mean, I wouldn't care what he says, but he's not. And very loud, amplified, powerful voices like Oprah, like, uh, uh, oh, there's, there's several other people. I, I read the list, but they're, they're head of corporate, like Jack Dorsey was one of them and, and several corporate media people. I, I think Facebook has used uh, him and his teachings to do seminars and one thing or another. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. But anyway, he says this in his book. I'm quoting from his book. 
To fix the original sin of racism, Americans should pass an anti-racist amendment to the U.S. Constitution that enshrines two guiding anti-racist principles. Racial inequity is evidence of racist policy, and the different racial groups are equal. The amendment would make unconstitutional racial inequity over a certain threshold, as well as racist ideas by public officials with racist ideas and public official clearly defined. It would establish and permanently fund the Department of Anti-Racism, DOA, comprised of formally trained experts on racism, no political appointees. That's highlighted. The DOA, Department of (laughs) Anti-Racism, DOA, would be responsible for pre-clearing all local, state, and federal public policies to ensure they won't yield racial inequity, monitor those policies, investigate private racist policies when racial inequity surfaces, and monitor public officials for expressions of racist ideas. The DOA would be empowered with disciplinary tools to wield over and against policymakers, and public officials would do uh, would do not voluntarily change their racist policies and ideas. So the whole notion of this is that racism will be fixed in our Constitution and in our culture when unelected bureaucrats become an official fourth branch of the government. You don't need to know much about civics in the Constitution to see where that is going. They will put in place constitutionally a group of people or us that are not elected that are not really accountable except to the people that got them there and they will be the people that will become the thought police so not only are your actions going to be weighed by these people should they be able to pull this off and I know somebody sitting over a cup of coffee that I was like I was drinking a few moments ago and they're they're saying oh come on Gary I mean America's not gonna go for that well It all depends on elections. I don't want to overstate this, but I will tell you, when I say this election coming up in just a matter of days now, 1st of November the 3rd, this election is really not about Republicans or Democrats. It's about the very soul, the very institutions of our nation. And if we decide to go one direction over another, and if we decide to go to the left, which is the extreme far left, that's where this guy lives. And that's where these other people live. And that's why this Chris Rufo got all over this, because he saw the danger in it for in the immediate future and in the long term. Because if these people have their way, America will never continue as it was intended and as it is today. Rufo summarizes, he put out a report, I included his report, a link to it in what I wrote today at faithandfreedom.us. Just go there and you can see what I wrote and um, there are links. He's very well sourced and you can go to his report, his overview and see it. But he talks about the Treasury Department. The Treasury Department held a training session telling employees that, quote, virtually all white people contribute to racism, demanding this is our Treasury Department demanding that white staff members struggle to their uh, to own their racism and accept their unconscious bias white privilege and white fragility 
The man who led the seminar, seminar, his name is Howard Ross, he's billed the federal government more than $5 million for this training over the last 15 years. So it started some time ago. The National Credit Union Administration, NCUA, they held a session for 8,900 employees arguing that America was founded on racism and built on the backs of people who were enslaved. They got paid thousands of dollars to teach this. It wasn't Ross, it was somebody else. But they're teaching the same materials. Sandia National Laboratories, they're the uh, group, they produce our nuclear uh, weapons, our nuclear arsenal. They held a three-day re-education camp for white males, blacks, browns, nobody could go except white guys, males. They taught them how to deconstruct their white male culture and they forced them to write letters of apology to women. And this was mandatory that they go. Their job was on the line. It wasn't like, you know, an optional class. It was mandatory. So they had to write these letters of apology to women, just various women, and to people of color. As though they had offended them, but they didn't really offend them as far as they knew, but they may have done so, but not know so. Whistleblowers from inside the labs told Rufo that the critical race theory is now endangering the very national security of our nation. What we're looking at here, at least from my point of view, is that we're looking at a doctrine that is being taught that, and we saw glimpses of this all throughout the Obama-Biden uh, era. And Obama in particular, I don't know if Biden was saying this or not, but he was you know, certainly along for the ride. But Obama kept saying, you know, we're not exceptional. I mean, sure, America's exceptional, just like I remember he said Greece is exceptional to the people who live there. He was always playing down any notion of exceptionalism of America. He was always playing down the, the, the beauty of America. He was always playing down that America wasn't that big a deal. It's just another country on the map, on the globe. I mean, yeah, we're here. Okay, yeah, it's exceptional. I mean, that was the tone, and that those were the kinds of words that he would respond when people would ask him. I didn't realize it as much then because I wasn't as aware then as I am now of this critical race theory thing that was being embedded into the culture even at that time. And he is all in on that, obviously, because his words and actions reflected that. So that's what we're looking at. And again, there, I have more material in what I wrote today, and you can go to it and take a look at it. The FBI, their Office of Diversity and Inclusion, is host, hosting weekly intersectionality workshops teaching this material. Tony Perkins, the head of Family Research Council, he noted yesterday that, boy, we better be on alert of this and be aware of it. He's a retired Marine, I believe. He was talking about that, and he's talking about how they're trying to change America and make us into something we've never been. So we need to be alert. We need to be on this stuff because it's going to be seeping into churches. It's already in education. It's already in entertainment, and it's already in the bureaucracies and the bureaus, the institutions of our nation. Perkins said Americans face a critical juncture in the 2020 election, openly Marxist forces in our schools, media, government, our streets, threaten to destroy the liberties we prize. While most career politicians apologize and flip-flop, he said President Trump is one of the only few public leaders who has demonstrated the courage to stand up against them. That's so true. So what do we do when the foundations are destroyed? We remember that the Lord is in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. He knows. 
he sees. Thank you for being with me today. Always a privilege. Thank you for your support. I'll see you right here tomorrow.